Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Nicole Mann is set to make history later this month when she becomes the first Native American woman in space. She's part of a space shuttle mission to the International Space Station. Mann is just one of a growing number of Native aviators, engineers, and scientists who are contributing to space exploration. We'll hear from Mann and several others about the importance of Native perspectives on science and space. We'll be back right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. A federal appeals court has ruled that fishermen in Alaska's only reservation should not need state permits to fish in waters they've traditionally relied on even outside reservation boundaries. As KRBD's Eric Stone reports, the decision is a significant victory in Metlakatla's decades-long fight for fishing rights. The Ninth Circuit's 28-page opinion is broad and unambiguous. The 1891 law that created Metlakatla's reservation gives tribal members the right to fish in much of southern southeast Alaska, even outside the Annette Island Reserve's boundaries. Metlakatla Mayor Albert Smith called the decision a very well-reasoned and strongly worded opinion. We're still going over it, but we're excited, grateful that the Ninth Circuit confirmed our fishing rights. The ancestors of Metlakatla Sipshian people relocated from their former home in British Columbia in the late 19th century at the invitation of the U.S. government. In 1891, Congress passed a statute creating the Annette Islands Reserve, quote, for the use of the Metlakatla Indians. Now, that law does not specifically mention fishing rights, but the tribe argued in its 2020 lawsuit against the state of Alaska that Congress intended the Annette Islands to be a permanent, self-sustaining home for the tribe, and that that wasn't possible without the ability to fish outside the reservation's marine boundaries. A federal district court judge sided with the state of Alaska and dismissed the case last year, but the Ninth Circuit disagreed, as Metlakatla's attorney Christopher Lundberg explains. The key question that the Ninth Circuit resolved in Metlakatla's favor was, was whether uh, Congress in 1891, when they established a reservation, also granted the community the right to fish on a non-exclusive basis in waters outside the reservation. The appeals court sent the case back to district court for further consideration. Alaska Department of Law spokesperson Patty Sullivan called the decision perplexing and disappointing in a written statement and said the state is considering whether to appeal. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Eric Stone. With the death of Queen Elizabeth II, there are questions about a renewed relationship between the Crown and Indigenous people in Canada. As Dan Karpinchuk reports, the head of Canada's largest First Nations group says the Crown needs to apologize. Roseanne Archibald is the National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations. She says when she met King Charles in May before he became King, she felt he was honest about wanting to be part of the solutions to problems plaguing Canada's Indigenous people. But Archibald says there must be more. There needs to be an apology by the Crown for the failures, um, and particularly for the destructiveness of colonization on First Nations people, and the role of the Anglican Church and the Crown as the head of that church in many of those institutions of assimilation and genocide. Many First Nations people offered their condolences over the death of the Queen. Many also spoke of the complicated history with the British Crown. The Crown began entering into treaties with Canada's native people in 1701. There are now 11 treaties in Canada. 
Some native historians say Britain had a sense of superiority and felt it had a right to come into Canada and civilize everyone else. They say colonial policies like the residential schools are still having a harmful impact today. One of the nearly 100 calls to action from Canada's Truth and Reconciliation Commission was for the Crown to issue a royal proclamation of reconciliation to reaffirm nation-to-nation -nation relations between Indigenous people in Canada and the Crown. That call has not yet been addressed. For National Native News, I'm Dan Karpinchuk. The Subcommittee for Indigenous Peoples of the United States is holding a legislative hearing Wednesday on a number of tribal land bills. Tribal leaders from California, Washington and Kansas are expected to testify. Lawmakers will also consider amending the Indian Law Enforcement Reform Act to advance public safety in tribal communities. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Strong Hearts Native Helpline, providing no-charge confidential support and resources to Native Americans affected by domestic and sexual violence 24-7 at 1-844-7-NATIVE or strongheartshelpline.org. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. Nicole Aunapu Mann is on track to be the first Native American woman to travel to space. She is an enrolled member of the Wallachie Round Valley Indian Tribes. She's commanding NASA's SpaceX Crew Dragon spacecraft scheduled to launch October 3rd. She follows Chickasaw Nation tribal member John Harrington, who was the first Native American in space. Nicole Mann is scheduled to be the first Native American woman in space three weeks from today. Man talked with National Native News' Antonia Gonzalez about the long journey to get there. I joined NASA back in 2013, and so I've been training ever since. We've been training specifically for this mission for the past year, and we are ready to go, ready to launch. And what is your role going to be? So I'm the commander of the spacecraft, so I will fly uh, myself and three other crewmates. We will launch from Kennedy Space Center in a Dragon spacecraft, which is built by SpaceX. And we will take a day or so to get to the International Space Station, and we'll stay on board for about six months to execute our mission. Our spacecraft will stay attached that entire time. Then at the end of the mission, we'll come back home and we'll splash down off the coast of Florida. And what are some of the key parts of the mission? Um, is there something that is gonna be studied or looked at or what's gonna happen during the six months? During the six months on board, we have about 250 scientific experiments that we will be able to partake in and execute for the principal investigator on the ground. Uh, and some of those are technology demonstration to help us in further human exploration. A lot of them are scientific investigations and research to benefit humans back on Earth, though. 
So because the space station is in microgravity, there's a lot of things that we can do that you simply can't do on Earth. So one of my favorite that I'm excited to participate in is this uh, biofabrication facility. And we're actually growing human cells on the space station. So they've already grown a partial meniscus and some heart cells. And this like, 3D printing of cells is difficult to do on Earth because of the gravity. But in space, they're discovering that they can create better, um, stronger, more intact cells. And so hopefully I'll be a part of that effort. And um, as a Native person, we know that there are some Native people who have chosen and have worked for NASA before in the past. Um, so what does that mean to you? Uh, to me, it's really important. I think your, your background and your heritage is an important part of who you are and your family and the community that brought you up. And so I think it's important also then to share with our communities what the amazing things that all of our, the people uh, that, you know, that we grew up with are, are executing and what they're doing. And so hopefully there's some young Native kids that are looking and see what amazing things, what amazing opportunities that they have in front of them. And I mean, a lot of those barriers that used to exist are really being broken down. And so I think that's some good messaging that we really want to communicate specifically to the younger generation. You know, for example, growing up in Northern California, I was interested in math and science. And I thought, you know, it'd be really cool to go to space one day, but the thought of being an astronaut honestly never crossed my mind because I never saw anybody that, that was from, you know, my background or my area that had done something like and so I think really just communicating those opportunities. And then if people are interested, then we need to help them. We need to have a program. We need to have teachers and mentors that are there to, to kind of shepherd them along the way. It's important to have that support. That was Nicole Mann speaking with Antonia Gonzalez from National Native News. You can hear an extended version of that interview by going to nativenews.net. And you can follow the progress of the Crew 5 mission by going to nasa.gov. Nicole Mann is one of several Native people at NASA. There are others working a variety of fields from engineering to public affairs. Coming up this hour, we'll hear from several of them to get a better understanding of their jobs and how their work applies to us here on planet Earth. We also want to hear from you. Have you ever dreamed of going into space? Are you inspired by the work of Native scientists? Give us a call to join today's conversation. Our number, 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. You can also leave comments on our Facebook and Twitter pages. Yeah, we do that social media stuff. Our Twitter is 1-800-99-NATIVE. That's the handle. Let's get started, folks. Joining us first from Pasadena, California, is Dr. Aaron Yazzie. He is a mechanical engineer at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. He is Dene. Aaron, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. Happy to have you, Aaron. And uh, first off, what are your thoughts on Nicole Mann traveling into space? Oh, I think it's just incredible. Um, I think, like, to, to think about where our people have been just a few generations ago and then, like, seeing us advance so quickly, uh, recovering from a lot of trauma that we've seen in our history, and then, like, to not only just, like, recover but excel and exceed all expectations and get to this point um, it's really incredible to see her there, especially um, being such a pioneer, being some, somebody who was the first Native woman in space is such an incredible achievement. I like the fact that she is, she is piloting that spacecraft. I mean, she is, they are in her hands, everybody on that spacecraft. 
super yeah, exciting. Yeah, awesome. Like, like that. Yeah, exactly. She's not uh, just. She didn't just have her foot in the door. She's not just participating in this mission. She is a leader on this mission, and that's incredible. It certainly is, and we're we're going to be watching this very closely uh, over the coming months as as this whole mission evolves. And six months out there at that station—that's a long time for sure. Well, Aaron, let's talk more about your career at NASA and uh, what kind of projects are you currently working on. Yeah, my career has actually been uh, dealing with a lot of robotic research missions to space, and um, I've kind of been doing a lot of missions that deal with Mars and our. Um, our, our mission to try to capture samples, rock samples, geologic samples from Mars, and study them and see not only the history of Mars, its geology, its the history of how it developed over billions of years, but actually look to see if there's a possibility that life could have ever developed on that planet sometime in its history. Um, and so my career started um, being a support engineer for the Curiosity rover that went to Mars in 2012. Um, I helped with the sample caching system, helping uh, figure out the motions that the rover would need to do in order to collect um, its rock samples and scoop up loose uh, rocky material. Um, and then I participated in the InSight mission where I got to actually build a piece of like my first flight hardware that flew into space and landed on Mars. Um, and I was helping that, that mission was going to, to look and study the deep interior of Mars, um, figure out what's going on in the core, figure out what's going on tectonic activities. And I helped build basically a support weather system that, that was um, monitoring the weather that was going on around the lander as we're taking these very sensitive measurements. Um, and then after that, I got to work on Perseverance, the Perseverance rover, which landed in 2021, so just last year. And it's currently up there performing its mission. And the parts that I worked on were the drill bits that the rover is using to drill into rocks and gather these rock core samples that we want to save inside these uh, sample tubes and leave on Mars for future missions to be able to pick up. <laughs> and, and so I'm happy to say now that I've joined the next phase of this, this campaign. I'm now on the Mars sample return mission, um, working to figure out how we're going to send a lander and some uh, grab those samples and pack them into a rocket so that we can bring them back to Earth and then study them here to look for if Mars had ancient signs of life on its surface. Okay, Aaron, so these drill bits, specialized drill bits that, that you've been involved in designing, uh, being used to drill, tap into the surface of Mars, see what's inside. Hey, this sounds an awful lot like that movie back in the day called Armageddon, when you had those guys flying up <laughs> yeah. in this way. Do you get that a lot? <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. Like they were drilling into an asteroid, which NASA actually sends missions to asteroids just like that to gather samples from them as well. Though okay. we're not trying to put nuclear weapons inside them. So is Bruce Willis looking over your shoulder every day at work? <laughs> yes, the spirit <laughs> of Bruce Willis. <laughs> there you go. Well, this is just so exciting that, that you're involved in, in all these high-tech projects there at Mars, robotics. And, of course, there's so much... Uh, speculation, excitement over the planet Mars and the idea that it could someday be colonized. Is, is that something feasible, do you think, in our lifetimes, Aaron, that people will be living on Mars? Um, I, I think that we're making a lot of progress to getting people to Mars. Um, as, it, as it stands right now, there's a lot of work to go to be able to send 
heavier spacecraft that can hold people and all the equipment they need to live and survive there. Um, because of the distance between the two planets, it's just it's a long flight. You have to have all the food and all the provisions for humans to live. Once you get to Mars, they're going to have to at least live there for a certain period of time before they can get a trip back because just of the way that the planets revolve around the sun. Um, there's a lot of tricky things that have to happen. Um, I, for one, I mean, I, I think it'll happen, but I, I'm hoping, I'm putting this out there that I would love to see it only be used for scientific research, um, that I, I'm not in favor of colonizing as a backup to Earth or anything like that. I, I, I only want to study it to see what it can tell us about a terrestrial planet, about the history of a rocky planet, about what it can tell us about the evolution of life on a rocky planet. It, whether it's within our solar system or another solar system, um, I don't think it should be used for mining or for for a backup to this to, to in case Earth were to continue to be unha continue to a place where it might become unhabitable. I think a lot of attention needs to be put on saving and preserving our own home planet. Saving and preserving our own home planet, and um, well, Aaron, that, I mean. I, really admire your position and i think uh, so many of us have na as native people we're you know we, we hear the word colonizing uh whether it's uh in north america any part of the world or now in outer space we we kind of take a step back and say hey slow down so it's great to know that right. somebody like you is is there at nasa and, and you've got that wisdom and that experience as a native person and we're going to talk more with Aaron Yazi after the break and, and learn how we got to NASA and, and more about some of these projects and the unique perspectives that he provides as a Native American engineer working at the NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Folks, give us a call 1-800-996-2848 if you want to get in on this conversation. If you've got a question, we've got other guests on the show as well that we're going to hear from. It's a fun show today, talking about space and native engineers and scientists and researchers. Give us a call. We'll be right back. Conventional loans and credit cards are often out of reach for prospective native borrowers. But there are alternatives that take into account the hurdles that native people often face. We'll hear about accessing credit options for those who keep encountering dead ends. That's coming up on the next Native America Calling. Support by Indigenous Pact, a healthcare consulting company working to create health equity in Indian country. Indigenous Pact offers solutions to fit the needs of your tribe. Their team, experts in healthcare strategy, policy, and innovation, provides a one-of-a-kind plan to solve the issues specific to your community. Indigenous Pact works to create three primary outcomes, healing spaces, healthy citizens, and sustainable economies. More information at indigenouspact.com. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Today we're highlighting some of the work that Native people are doing at the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, more commonly referred to as NASA. We also want to hear from you. Does your tribe have stories about space? What are your thoughts on some of the accomplishments of astronauts like Nicole Mann or some of the engineers working at NASA? Give us a call by joining us at 1-800-996-2848. You can also call 1-800-99-NATIVE and uh, we'll get your comments on the air. Let's go back now to Aaron Yazzie. He is uh, an engineer, mechanical engineer in the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. He's up there in the Bay Area in California. And um, 
Aaron, let's go back a few years. How did you first get your foot in the door at NASA? Um, I think I took advantage of a lot of summer programs when I was growing up in uh, northern Arizona near the Navajo Nation. I think that's the kind of thing that helped me figure out that I was uh, not only interested in engineering and science, but that I was like a smart student. And it helped me realize, really realize my capabilities and helped me break out of my shell. Um, and so I kind of used those opportunities to, to jump from one to the other. It led me to Stanford, where I got my Bachelor's of Science in Mechanical Engineering. Um, and while I was there, I continued to do stuff over the summer. So I, I took advantage of um, an organization called the American Indian Science and Engineering Society, ACES. Um, and they had a lot of opportunities. They, I had a scholarship to them for college, but they also had an internship program. Um, and I was through that internship program, I was able to work at NASA Goddard Space Flight Center for a summer. And then I also worked at NASA Glenn Research Center for a summer. So I think having those two um, experiences um, on my resume really helps. Like it, it uh, even though my, my grades at Stanford weren't the best i was not like the the, the the thriving student that you can that uh i was sort of plucked out of my small hometown and had to sort of catch up and 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 make it at stanford but i think regardless of my my average grades i was i also had leadership uh experience um on my my resume and i had those two nasa internships um and so when i went to the asus national conference my senior year um, they have a career fair there and that's where i met the recruiters for nasa jpl and got my interview well, I've heard from other uh, native STEM professionals that there's so much more to career success than, than that GPA uh, in college, like you mentioned. Aaron, where'd you grow up and, and where'd you go to high school? Yeah, I grew up in Holbrook, Arizona, which is a small town in northern Arizona. It's on the border of the Navajo Nation. Um, I, it is off the reservation. Um, and I, I did all of my kindergarten through 12th grade education there. That's where my parents still live. Um, and then my entire family lives up on the Navajo Nation. So I have family up in the Tuba City, Arizona region, and I have more family up in the uh, Black Mesa uh, region. Um, and, and that's where I went to school. Um, and and um, it's a great community. It's a very mixed community full of uh, a, maybe a small, uh, almost majority Na Native American, like Navajo, um, Hopi, and Apache um, residents, but the rest um, non-native. And did you, do you have any other engineers in your family? Yes. Um, my dad is a, is a mechanical engineer or sorry, my dad is a civil engineer. Um, and, and I always like to make sure that I point out that my story isn't where my story began, right? Like my parents have an incredible journey. And even before then, my grandparents and my, all of our ancestors had to overcome a lot and achieve a lot in their lifetime to get us to where we are right now. And my parents are no no exception. Um, they grew up, they started out very traditional um, growing up. Uh, they were born in a Hogan, which is our traditional housing, and they no electricity, no running water. Their first language was Navajo, the Navajo language. Um, they're the first generation to really go be put through school. And so that's where they were first forced to learn English. Um, and so out of that, even though they didn't really have uh, someone to sort of like tell them that education is the way, that this is the way you should you need to go to succeed. Um, both my parents were able to get themselves to college. My mom became a teacher um, and my dad um, went from a, a small college where he studied, got like an, kind of like a, a associate of engineering and then transferred to a four year university and continued on to get his civil engineering degree. So they, they 
also like just have an incredible journey in their lifetime. We're having a great conversation with Dr. Aaron Yazzie. He's telling us about his history growing up in Arizona and his journey through Stanford. And now they're at NASA working in the Bay Area uh, at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. And if you want to give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. You can ask Aaron a question, learn more about his career, his exciting career there at NASA. Let's hear now from Eddie Gonzalez. He is the Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Accessibility Lead for Heliophysics at NASA Goddard Space Flight Center. He is Apache and Mexican. I talked to him earlier about encouraging other Native people to work at NASA and why he wanted to join the agency. When I talk to students and say, hey, you know, why don't you come work for NASA? I think of myself when I was five and I wanted to work for NASA. I saw the Apollo 13 mission, and I'm aging myself right now. That was in 1970, and there was a problem. Uh, uh, there was a hydrogen lake. There was an explosion, and not only were the astronauts going to not make it back to the moon, potentially they weren't even going to make it back to Earth. But Gene Kranz, who was the flight director, and the amazing people that worked for NASA, they figured out a way to get them home safely. So for me, I thought, I want to help people. I want to do what Gene Kranz is doing. And maybe not bringing astronauts home safely, but if there's something that I could do to help people, that's what I want to do. And here I am. For young people, uh, Native kids interested in careers at NASA, big opportunities right now? Oh, absolutely. And it's all about opportunities. So one of the things that's going to happen next month is a conference called ACES. I'm familiar with ACES, American Indian Science and Engineering Society. Yes, excellent. A lot of people are, and I'm so glad that you are. So a team from NASA will be at ACES talking about different opportunities, uh, talking about our own career paths, and mentoring uh, all of these young natives to tell them that, you know, you can do this. And again, what we encourage students to do as well is we don't say, you know, wouldn't you love to leave your hometown and come and do something greater, right? No. What we want you to do is come and get an internship at NASA, potentially get a job here, and then go back to your community and share that information, share what you're doing with the others, and encourage others to do the same. Well, when did NASA make this, uh, this a priority to become more diverse? I think it's always been a priority of the agency. Um, but I know, you know, as you know, as long as I've worked here for the agency, I've been with the agency over 22 years. Um, I never felt like I was the only person of color. But what I did notice was, why isn't there more, right? Why isn't there more Native Americans? Why isn't there more Latinx Hispanics? Why isn't there more, uh, you know, African Americans? Why isn't there more women? You know, all of these things. And I think over the past several years. NASA's done a really good job of saying, you know what, we're doing a good job, but we can do better. Eddie, um, do you feel like you and these other Native people are, are changing NASA? I wouldn't say that we're changing NASA, but I believe that some of the challenges that me, and I can't speak for my brothers and sisters, they all have had their own challenges, uh, obviously coming up, just life in general, and then here life at NASA that as we go through some of the barriers that we may have gone through, that the people coming behind us, they won't have to go through those barriers. First person through the wall always gets hurt. What do you think the benefit is of having more natives on board at NASA? Oh, man.
man, that's that. I love that question. The beauty of having more natives here at NASA is that we're going to have a more diverse way of solving problems because I can go to, say, a reservation in Washington with a problem, and then I could go to a reservation in Oklahoma. Then I can go to a reservation in New Mexico or Arizona, and each native that I go to is going to have their own way of solving this problem. So now imagine bringing all of those natives that I just mentioned to a NASA center that is going to solve a problem or come up with a solution to something that is going to allow us to get to the moon faster or get to Mars or whatever. So having those diverse ideas is going to absolutely not only benefit the agency, but benefit the world. You're Apache. Do your people have cultural stories with regard to, to space and that whole realm out there? Another great question. So here's my problem or my dilemma is, and I understand why he did it. My mother is Mexican and my father's native. And one of the things that he did was he told my mom, our children, we're going to raise them American. We're going to Americanize them. So we're not going to introduce them to any of our cultures. So we didn't have quinceaneras. We didn't go to the powwows. We didn't do any of that. And then I didn't discover my Native American heritage until oh, I was probably in high school. But getting information on my tribe in particular or even families that are related to me that are on a reservation was virtually impossible for me to find out. And it wasn't until I did that ancestry that I figured out exactly what I was and where I was from. So I can't tell you that I have these amazing stories to share with you, or, you know, I've met this elder that shared this with me, and I, I don't have any of that. Barriers for, for Native people specifically to enter NASA, is it tough for a Native person to get hired? No, I, I don't believe so. But again, I think that the barrier for anybody, anyone, it doesn't matter where you come from, is knowledge and opportunity. So what I tell young interns is you can go to nasa.gov and you can type an internship, and then you can apply for whatever you're qualified for. But what are you going to do after that? So a lot of students will then say, okay, well, I'm going to apply, and I'm just going to check my email, and hopefully I'll get it. Well, there's a great chance that they will. But if you're willing to do a little networking and say, okay, I want to work for NASA Goddard, what particular department or area of expertise do you want to work in? So I'll say heliophysics because that's where I'm from. So what I'm going to do is who's the director of heliophysics? That's Auntie Pulyakon. So I'm going to look to see what Auntie has written, any abstracts, any TED Talks, any YouTube videos he's done, and I'm going to take notes. Then when I reach out to him on LinkedIn, I'm going to say, this is who I am. I'm in the same arena as you. I'm trying to get to where you're at. Would you be willing to talk with me for 15 minutes? And now, if I can get his attention during that 15 minutes, there's a good possibility I can shoot in my resume and improve my chances of getting that internship. Now, again, this doesn't just apply to Native Americans. This applies to everybody. It's what are you willing to do to get yourself known? 
And in order to do that, you've got to network. But it takes hard work. Eddie, uh, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here. Anything else you want to share about natives at NASA? My experience with working and collaborating with the natives at NASA, my brothers and sisters from across the agency are doing some amazing, great things. You can tell when I'm in a meeting with them that they are so passionate about what they're doing. When we go to ACES, SACNIS, and some of these other native-related conferences, seeing the passion that these students have and their knowledge and thirst for knowledge. It's just amazing. That's Eddie Gonzalez. He's the Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Accessibility Lead at NASA Goddard Space Flight Center. Let's go to the phones. We've got Cyril. He's listening in Santa Fe, New Mexico on KUNM. Cyril, hello. Hello, sir. I'm honored to be here. I moved because, here because of the Native people. Um, I am wondering if you could answer, um, when I talked to several uh, elders, the, the Hopi, the Diné, uh, and Apache, uh, I applaud anybody who wants to, to partake of the larger opportunities in the world. But the elders that I talked to, um, I know things have changed, but if we look at the, what's happening to the planet, um, they said that we never men were meant to shoot missiles through the atmosphere. We were never meant to go on Mars and the moon. Our spirits belong on this planet. So there is a little bit of a disconnect between what we're doing technologically, as we know with the climate and what we're doing to the species. And the native people know more about spirit than anyone alive all over the world. So there's a, a kind of a, a schizophrenic situation. If you know what Elon Musk is trying to do, getting to other planets, the native elders I've talked to said we do not belong anywhere but on this earth. Okay. Uh, Cyril, appreciate that that uh, comment there and that opinion. And you know what? I'm going to go ahead and let um, Dr. Aaron Yazi respond to that. Aaron, um, here you are, uh, a Navajo engineer. You work at NASA. You talked earlier about your thoughts on, on the approach to colonization and, and space and, and how you don't agree with that. So I think really the question here and, and what our caller is getting at is, how do folks like you, Native people that are working at NASA and involved in some of these projects, how do you balance those, those interests, those priorities with, with your culture, with your heritage, with your identity as a, as a Native person? Yeah, it is an interesting balance. Um, I always want to make sure that I pay deep, deep respects to my tradition, my culture, the, the things that the elders are telling us. Um, but at the same time, being somebody who is a native in the current modern day means that you're forced to address and face things that your elders and your ancestors never had to. Um, we are living in a world where we're traveling across, around the world. We're living in areas um, that aren't our homeland. Um, and even there are, there are teachings going back saying that you shouldn't leave the four sacred mountains of the, of Dineta, our, our, our Navajo land, otherwise you're not protected. And, and so now I'm, I'm currently living outside that. And a lot of, a lot of Navajo students are going to school outside of, uh, out of that region. And we're finding work out of that region. We have to find ways to adapt. And I think that's something that we do, we have always done. That's the whole reason why we've been able to survive and thrive for so long is because whenever we get put into a new situation that we haven't experienced before, we not only adapt uh, how we approach it, how we do things, but how we uh, believe, how we protect ourselves, how we thrive and, and maintain our, our balance and, and harmony. 
Um, so I, I think that, I, I, I mean, yes, I agree that we need to listen to our elders, but I also think that we need to understand how to adapt to the ever-changing world. And that involves maybe going, like, studying space. And like, like, like you mentioned, I don't believe that we should go live on Mars. I agree with the elders there. Um, we might study it. Uh, maybe a person will walk on the surface and be able to grab scientific samples for us. But, um, but I think it's all about adaption. We're speaking with Dr. Aaron Yazzie. He's in Pasadena, California, and just a, a really inspiring journey that he has had throughout his career there at NASA now and um, worked on a, a very high-tech drill bit that's uh, used to drill into the surface of Mars. And uh, just a really interesting show today, learning more about natives working at NASA. So give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. That's our number. We've got another guest, more conversation, coming back right after this break. Repatriation is the return of ancestors and stolen culture. Work with experts in the field to form strategies and build relations to better the future of repatriation at the 8th Annual Repatriation Conference, October 11th, 12th, and 13th, hosted by the Association on American Indian Affairs and the Pokagon Band of Potawatomi Indians. Learn more at indian-affairs.org. The Association on American Indian Affairs supports this show. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about Native people working at NASA today. If you have a comment or a question for one of our guests, please give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-996-2848. Our next guest is joining us from Mountain View, California. George Garospi is a senior research engineer at NASA Ames Research Center. He's Laguna Pueblo. George, welcome to Native America Calling. Good morning, Sean. Thanks for having me on. Really excited to learn more about your career, George. And please start us off with some background. What led you to NASA? Yeah, well, I was really fortunate to participate in a few internships here at NASA. The first was really a life-changing event for me. Uh, I was a undergraduate at the University of New Mexico studying mechanical engineering. When I learned that NASA, which at the time was an $18.5 billion a year agency, it's gone up since then, uh, actually had a program specific for Native American students called the Tribal Colleges and Universities Program. So I applied for that program, and I was super fortunate to be selected and get a chance to come up here to uh, NASA Ames Research Center for my very first internship. Uh, following that, I participated in three other in and two other internships before eventually graduating from the University of New Mexico and, and landing a, my dream job here at NASA Ames. And how long ago was that? How long have you been at NASA now? Uh, I graduated in 2012, and I got my job almost immediately after that. So about 10 years. And, and tell us, what kind of projects are you working on right now at NASA? Yeah, I'm really fortunate I get to work in the Diagnostics and Prognostics Research Group. These are, these are people who really feel that failure is not an option. So what we do is we work on NASA's engineered systems to uh, add intelligence to them and better understand if uh, a failure has occurred and what will happen next based on the current information or historical data. Right now, we're applying our 
uh, our technology to advanced air mobility. This is the next generation of air transportation that's going to use revolutionary, revolutionary new aircraft, things like large drones, we're calling air taxis. Uh, these large vehicles can take you from Albuquerque to Santa Fe in 15 minutes or from uh, San, San Francisco down to San Jose, skipping the traffic and in, also in 15 minutes. What we're trying to do is make sure that these vehicles operate safely and efficiently um, and, and uh, are sustainable for the future of air transportation. So a drone that could travel from Albuquerque to Santa Fe in 15 minutes, which takes, uh, even if you put your foot on it, that's about an hour drive. So, George, um, any chance we're going to be seeing uh, autonomous aircraft like this in the skies over I-25 anytime within the next few years? I absolutely think so. I think that the work I'm doing with my coworkers here at Ames is paving the way for a really a revolutionary change to the national air transportation system where you know instead of taking a large plane with you know 200 people on it you can take a small air taxi with four or five people on it to jump down to las cruces super quick and have lunch uh have some meetings and then come back up to to uh albuquerque uh to have dinner with your family or here in the bay area where traffic is a real issue it can take two hours to go from San Jose up to San Francisco. If we have this new air transportation system, that's you can fly over all of that. The really exciting thing about it is that for these vehicles, there's not going to be a pilot in the in the aircraft. These are going to be entirely autonomous aircraft. Eventually, it'll it'll take time to go from where we are now to that point. But I'm excited to be a part of the people solving the problems that we got to solve to make that future a reality. Now, George, earlier we heard um, from Eddie, and he's actually, uh, he works on the diversity side, uh, human resources side of NASA, and talking about opportunities for natives. And do you work alongside other native people there at NASA? Yeah. Uh, here at NASA Ames, we have a Native American Advisory Council, uh, a group of Native American employees who discuss and talk with ma uh, center management about uh things like representation and recruitment and retention uh, of Native uh, employees. We also talk uh, with the center who's very understanding about acknowledgement that our center is on uh, traditional Ohlone land here in, in Northern California. Uh, it's, really, it's really been wonderful to work at Ames where I've never had to think, am I an engineer or a Native? I can say, hey, look, I'm a... Native American engineer, and I have a unique perspective, and it's great to have people who are actually legitimately interested in my perspective. Now, you and Aaron, Dr. Yazzie, you know each other. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think that's one of the, the common common uh, threads among myself, Aaron, and, and Eddie is the American Indian Science and Engineering Society. I think we've all, all participated in and even met up at some of their conferences. This is just a, a, a truly amazing society that really helps a lot of Native students uh, find other people like them who have succeeded and already are in engineering or science uh, professional uh, positions. We're speaking with George Grosby. He's a senior research engineer at NASA Ames Research Center in the Bay Area. 
Let's go back to the phones. We've got Dustin listening to you, KUII online in Phoenix, Arizona. Dustin, hello. You're on Native America calling. Hello, Sean. This is the uh, this is Dustin here. Yeah, I'm calling about the uh, the uh, topic that you guys are talking about. Um, I got a um, got excited about it because I, I'm actually involved with a, a lot of that information that's been been discussed. Um, I'm working through uh, General Dynamics. Uh, we we are uh, part of an aerospace company that does provide uh, hardware communications to uh, JPL and other areas of uh, defense and everything like that. So. Um, Right now, um, we do have that. If you heard about it, right now we have the Artemis One that's going to be, be uh, that's going to be launching. It's been canceled a couple times due to uh, some uh, issues with the, um, I think the fuel. I can't remember. Um, but right now, yeah. So I have hardware on that um, on that actual rocket right now. It's going to be going up. So I'm just excited for that thing to launch when it does. And you know that that'd be great uh, for me. It's kind of like accomplishment because it does. I think to myself, well, you know, all the hard work I did through my education and, you know, dedication to what I need to do. It's, you know, I get some of the, see some of the stuff going up in space and getting launched. Um, on top of that, I have um, another uh, design that I'm working on that is for the, the Artemis II, which will be the manned uh, rocket uh, launch that will be coming up um, uh, in a few years or so. So, yeah, I just wanted to chime out on that and everybody that, you know, that it's great that to hear a lot of the other natives uh working in the in this field and industry when I first started uh, I, it, there wasn't that many but now there's there's I'm seeing quite a few people out there within the native community really uh, going at it and doing what they can on their part on helping you know to, uh, do what we can through aerospace uh, work and everything Dustin thanks you thank you for calling in uh, and appreciate all your contributions and sharing your experience there uh, working on Artemis and the next possible launch for Artemis, according to, to my producer here is September 23rd. So hopefully that'll be a go here uh, in about another couple of weeks. And George, I want to ask you because um, you know, we have Dustin, he, he, he works for um, some kind of a subcontract tractor, it sounds like, but you know, I, I know we're seeing more and more of these private uh, space exploration efforts. And of course, so much buzz around Elon Musk and SpaceX and uh, Jeff Bezos has Blue Origin. And I'm wondering, um, as we see some of these private uh, space companies, uh, as those companies evolve, uh, do you see opportunities in those uh, avenues for, for young Native um, scientists and researchers and engineers like you and, and Aaron? I think absolutely. You know, right now is a really exciting time to be a part of space exploration and an especially t exciting time to be a part of NASA. With the Artemis program, I can confidently say that I'm part of the Artemis generation. You know, when we think back to the Apollo generation, those those guys in white shirts and thick framed glasses, well, now we can think about the Artemis generation a lot differently. And we've got people like myself and Aaron and Dustin, natives that are important parts of, of this return of man, uh, man and woman to, to the moon and potentially even further. I think that um, private corporations are going to play an important part of that as well. And certainly in all these uh, corporations like SpaceX and Blue Origin, there are absolutely room for, for natives. I think that uh, space, the thing we have to remember is that space is difficult. Space is very, very hard. And when we send humans to space, we have to be very, very careful and, and 
engineer things very precisely. So that's a big effort and it needs a lot of, a lot of people to do. George, I, I think so myself and so many other people, when, when we think of NASA, we right away, we think of the space shuttles, we think of um, astronauts, you know, launching, taking off, exploring, going into space stations and all this, you know, kind of cool science fiction type stuff. But what's what I'm really learning today from from listening to you and to Aaron and our other guests is that there's a lot more going on at NASA than, than space flight. That's absolutely correct. Yeah, the first A in NASA stands for aeronautics. Aeronautics, yeah. So the the autonomous flights, because I mean, what you're describing, these projects you're working on, I mean, those aren't going to space. Those are just going to probably, I mean, how high would those those autonomous um, aircraft that you're describing fly to get from city to city? Yeah, these these air taxis would fly, you know, above 500 feet and and below the uh, typical crews of of uh, commercial aircraft. Uh, these are things that you'd be able to see flying above you when you're standing outside your house. You could say, "Oh, yeah, there's you know another group of people heading heading north uh, for meetings or or things like that." I think what's what's really exciting is how many how many different ways NASA's technology and innovation affects our life here on Earth, from the things that uh, Dr. Mann was describing, the development of uh, 3D printers in space, the things they were studying, exciting things, even things that are coming from uh, New Mexico, like uh, growing of green chili in space. I know when I first heard that, uh, my New Mexican heart beat a little bit extra fast, thinking about if I'm ever an astronaut, <laughs> I hope I can go to space and have a green chili cheeseburger. <laughs> you know? Yeah, for sure. And you know, that, that makes me, it begs the question of me, um, so here you are, you know, you are a Native American, you are a Laguna Pueblo man and talking about uh, eating a green chili cheeseburger in outer space. But what do you think, George, what do you think from, from your background, from your heritage, from, from what you learned from, from your family and folks there at Laguna Pueblo, what, what do you offer NASA that nobody else can? Yeah, I think that I, I provide NASA with a unique perspective. Um, I think that it takes a lot of hands to to work on these these very very big projects. We need to always remember that engineering and physics and mathematics, those are tools in in our toolbox that we use to artistically create and innovate and, and design new solutions. So, the more ways we can approach this solution, uh, the the creation of a new solution or the creation of a a new invention, our new potentially life-saving technology, the better. So the more people in the room and the more uh, environments that they come from and backgrounds they come from, the better it is. Now, George, another interesting thing that you have going on is you're also a graduate student. Yes, that's correct. I, I in, in addition to my full-time research uh, work here at NASA Ames, I'm also a graduate student at the Santa Clara University here in the Bay Area, where I study robotics and mechatronics. And how far along are you on that graduate degree? Yeah, I'm about to finish my master's portion of it, and then I'll begin my PhD portion. Mm. It's oh. it's a real it's a real uh, effort. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it sounds like you're just really really busy working full time there at NASA, and then you've also uh, you know you're a graduate student. So, uh, George, I mean, it sounds 
these these careers just seem so interesting, so inspiring, but yet they're also really, really challenging. And, and Aaron talked about the challenges that he had uh, going to Stanford and, and both of you gentlemen, everybody on our show's got, you know, high levels of education. And for a listener today, uh, maybe a young person interested in a career in, in space or aeronautics, what's your advice to them? Oh, I think this is really important, actually. And this is something that I had to learn the first year I was here at NASA. I think it's important to demystify NASA a little bit. You don't have to have a a genius card in order to walk through the door at NASA. You have to instead be willing to learn and learn quickly and then apply the knowledge you just gained to solve a problem that you couldn't have solved previously. We don't ask you to know everything, but we ask you to solve some of the most difficult problems that anybody on Earth solves and even anybody in space solves. I would say to Native American students all over the country, challenge yourself, push yourself, dare to be greater, dare to do mighty things. I think that doing so will really surprise you and really, you know, you'll look back at your at your life and you'll say, I can't believe I got a chance to do that or to meet those people or to work in those things or to travel to space. Spoken like a true member of the Artemis generation. Uh, Just a a really, really fun conversation today, Uh, learning from four different people, Native people that are involved there at NASA, and just a wide range of projects, engineers, uh, researchers, working on on different types of initiatives. Uh, Some of it involves space travel. Some of it involves projects that are just 500 feet off the ground. So, Unfortunately, we have now reached the end of our hour, and I'd like to thank our guests, Dr. Aaron Yazzie, George Garospi, Nicole Mann, and Eddie Gonzalez. We appreciate all of your insights and your contributions to the National Aeronautics and Space Administration. Join us on Native America Calling again tomorrow as we talk about alternatives to conventional loans. I'm your host, Sean Spruce. Thanks for listening. My name is Asad. When I was 19, my mom was diagnosed with colorectal cancer because she smoked. My tip is, find things to be thankful for. I'm thankful she quit smoking. I'm thankful for the nurses who taught me how to check her IV and to manage her medication. And I'm thankful for every day we have together because nothing is guaranteed, especially for us. The people you love are worth quitting for. You can quit. For free help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Support by Vision Maker Media, announcing their ninth biennial Vision Maker Film Festival, celebrating together. The Vision Maker Film Festival will present five weeks of American Indian, Alaska Native, and worldwide indigenous films with a new theme each week. Indigenous peoples and languages, Alaska Natives, ooh, scary, and more, all available at visionmakermedia.org, October 10th to November 11th, 2022. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.